I've been praying because I'm thinking about this message that I'm uh, sharing with you, the things that happened to me. What is God saying? What is God saying to us at this particular point in time in history? That's one of the things that I, 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 I always pray, Lord, give me an appropriate word for the times, for the times, so that the word fit perfectly into the things that's happening right here and right now. And with these rumblings of revival, I, I, I come to understand that there are many things that are stirring, I, even in earthquakes. When earthquakes take place, don't just think that it's just the beginning of activity when the earth breaks forth, but there were undercurrents, things happening beneath the surface. And understand, there were, uh, we began to see fault lines that were there all the while. And then we began to experience those tectonic plates shifting. And then eventually you see the result of all of that, which was taking place beneath the surface, where the earth breaks forth. And then you have the earthquake. And I believe that spiritually God is doing the same thing. There, is, there are some rumblings that's occurring at this particular time in history. There are some things that's being shaken. That's why we as the people of God must be steady and, 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 and solid in our faith because there's a whole lot going on that you don't even recognize. There are things we see like the wars uh, that's taking place and we saw the, uh, the earthquakes that have happened uh, in some of the places within the world. There are certain things that we have observed within history, but when you begin to look at all of those things uh, together, when you begin to look at it, you get a context of what, uh, you, you bring it within context of what God is doing. You'll realize that more is happening than you currently realize. But then, this is what the Lord placed in my heart. But until the church catch hold of all of these things, until the church rises up to the occasion, uh, then none of these things will be sustainable. None of those things would have the kind of impact that God would have it to make because he's not going to leave the church out of what he is saying and what he is doing. Today, people think that the church has pretty much lost its significance there are people that begin to look at, their, they begin to say, we must look beyond the local church, beyond the, the organized church, and find the answers that God is providing. But let me just tell you, God still has his eyes upon the church. God still has his eyes upon the church. He's still concerned about what is happening within this church, and all of those that have the name of Jesus Christ that are called by his name. Every institution that's called by his name, the Lord has given special attention to those particular uh, uh, institutions or, the, or those particular places. I'm going to talk today, my title is God Speaks Through His Church, and it's still dealing with the title, Things That Happened to Me, but God Speaks Through His Church. And, and, and this scripture I've used many times out of, uh, uh, of Psalm 73, and that whole 73rd 
chapter. You need to read it. But it talks about attitudes, dispositions, and, 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 and actions that were about to take place, uh, you know, if they had not heard or if they had not heard from the Lord. But then when it gets to verse 15, he said, if I had said, I will thus speak, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. If I had said, if I had spoken, if I had, if I would have been, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. I would have misled the generations that are coming after me. He said, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. So he is really saying he had to watch what he was saying because what he was about to say would carry a lot of weight and it could throw generations off course. He said, so he had to watch his words. He said, I got to be careful what I'm saying because I, I don't want to be reactionary. I don't want to react to what is taking place. I want to be at a place where I am rightly responding to the things that's going on. Then he says, look what he says here. He said, all of these things were happening and those thoughts were occurring within my mind until, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Now, listen to what he's saying. That's location now. He didn't just say, until I reached a point whereby I began to imagine that I was in the sanctuary of the Lord. He says, no, I physically entered into the sanctuary of the Lord, which has to do with a place that had been designated for the corporate gathering of God's people. He said, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Now, what's so important about entering into the sanctuary of God? What is so important about the corporate gathering of the people of God? He has said that when the people of God gathered together, God began to reveal something to the people. They began to see something that they otherwise would not have been capable of seeing. He says, I was brought to the place of understanding therein. I was brought to the place of understanding where all of these things that were happening, let's say the prosperity of the wicked and those that were working against God, how they appear to have had the advantage and it looked like the people of God were losing ground and, and they were gaining ground. He said, it looked that way because by all appearances, it looked like uh, the, the people of God were failures. It looked like, it looked like Ichabod had been written upon the lives of the people that come together in his name. He said, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then God gave me prophetic eyes to see into the future. He allowed me to see what I otherwise would have been incapable of seeing. What did I see? I saw the end of the wicked. I saw where all that they were developing, God showed me where it was all headed. He said, they're in a slippery place. He said, this thing that they're developing is soon to fall apart. It's soon to fall apart. That's a warning to all of us. That should be a warning. That should be a warning to all of us, is that it doesn't, don't just 
don't just react or respond to appearances. Don't just react or respond to appearances because things can look one way and be altogether different from the way they appear. So he says, so now when we begin to look at what God is doing in the area of revival, I, I call it the rumblings of revival. I'm saying that God is preparing the hearts of individuals to show us what he is capable of doing and what he proposes to do. But he's saying, church, I want my church to wake up. I want my church to come alive. I want you to become vibrant in your faith like never before because I've not forgotten you and I will not really fulfill my purposes without you. In fact, when you be a look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, this is what God's intent is in relation to what he intends to do through the church. He says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Let's stop there first. That the wisdom of God may be made known by the church. He said, so it is saying that the church must be rightly instructed. The church must receive the, the, the instructions that God is giving the church. That's why teaching is so important. That's why it's so important that we get the right teaching and all you're getting, get an understanding of what God is saying and, and, and what God and how God is posturing us as believers. That's what God is doing. He's posturing us as believers. He is saying that none of these messages are just at random, but it is a part of God's, God positioning us through the things that he's saying. I was so, I, I am so thrilled when God confirms his word, when he says something and then we see the result of it right after, or God will bring someone alongside as, as a witness to the fact that this is exactly what God is in fact saying, as we've experienced many times over and over again. He says, but now, what is he doing? I want to make my manifold, I love the word manifold, many-faceted wisdom of God. The different aspects of his wisdom that can be applied to various portions of life. He said, once you understand the manifold wisdom of God, God's wisdom can be applied to every area of life. He said, I want to make my manifold wisdom of God, I want to be made known by the church so that you're not at a place of thinking that wisdom can come from any other source. He said, but now when you know it, then through you I will make it known to principalities and powers in heavenly places. Now, listen to what he's saying. He says, once we know what God is saying and what God is doing, then what God is saying and doing will be made known through us. He said, I'm not just having you to see and understand a particular thing so that you can become uh, uh, top-heavy. And you, if you're top-heavy, become boastful and prideful about how much knowledge you've attained. He said, no, what am I doing? I am making it known to you so you'll know how to engage in spiritual warfare. You'll know how to fight the good fight of faith. You'll understand how not just to deal with what is seen, but even the unseen enemies that are rising all around us. Because behind what is physical, we understand there are movements that's taking place spiritually. <clears throat> we mentioned already <clears throat> 
that you begin to see the rumblings of revival, but something is happening in the spiritual realm. Something is happening in the spiritual realm, and they're shifting. The reason that these wars are taking place, the reason that the culture is moving, the direction is moving, the reason that these things have become things that we know are totally against the will of God have become popularized and invoked is because there are things that have happened in the spiritual realm that have dulled the senses of this generation, whereby now these things can be easily accepted and widely practiced without any, uh, there's nothing there to, to cause them to think otherwise. So now what is he doing here? He is saying that unless we arrest them in the realm of the Spirit, they will run uh, rampant without any constraints. He said, but that's what he's doing. He will give us a word. And let me tell you something. This is spiritual warfare. This is spiritual warfare. What we're engaging in right here, hearing the Word of God, we're fighting the fight of faith right now. As you're hearing this, let me tell you something. Let me put it this way. You probably, you don't know what it takes to get this message to you. You don't have a clue as to what God had to do to deliver the message that you're currently hearing. It goes back all the way from the beginning of time. Then we see Jesus Christ being crucified. We see him dead and buried, risen from the dead. We see individuals, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that God had to equip. All of us that are ministering the Word of God had to go through process in order to be at a place where the Word of God can, 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 can come forth through us. Don't think we just appeared. Don't think that I just showed up or, or, or whoever's ministering just showed up. But God took us through process in order for us to be in position and posture for the Word of God to be dispensed and dispersed to you. So he says, so now it's made known to principalities, powers, and heavenly places, and it's accomplished, which is accomplished through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we understand God is using his church, he's using people, even though there are those today who have disregard and disdain for the church. Now, let me just help you understand now the purpose and the position of the parachurch. Let's talk about the parachurch. Parachurch, look at the word, para. Para means uh, alongside of. It has to do with that which comes alongside of. We begin to see that the Holy Spirit is called what? The paracletus. The paraclete. So, so anything that aligns itself, when we speak words, parables, parabolic teachings, it is a truth that aligns itself with another truth. So we see, so when we talk about a parachurch, it is that which aligns itself or must go alongside of the church. And what the church is not currently doing, oftentimes the parachurch will come alongside to make sure those things are aided and those things are assistant, but they're never to replace the church. It's never to replace the church. There are some people that have gotten to the place where their focus has been upon the para-church, but not the church itself. They begin to even interpret the para-church as being the church. But it is called a parachurch is because it goes alongside. So there has to be a church in order to be a parachurch, for it to be a parachurch. But yet we see the parachurch, uh, it, it is a reflection of, a, as we begin to see what, what 
the Father, who the Father is, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit. We see the Son, we see the moon, but it is the brightness of the Son that the moon gives reflection to. He said, not, now understand what happens. The church must remain in the forefront, but yet we understand that those assistance and aids must be in place. And it's pointing people to Christ. The whole objective is to point people to Christ. And then, as they see Christ, they grow in their appreciation for His church. They grow in His appreciation for His church. But, but if it's not doing that, then there's a problem with the parachurch. Now, now, I was reading this particular passage, and it really, uh, when you read that 40 third chapter of Psalm, and it talks about uh, surely God is good to Israel and how the foot almost slipped because he saw the prosperity of the wicked and uh, all of those things that were taking place. But I never, I, I didn't, I read it, but I didn't give as much attention to what came after the 73rd chapter. Because if you go to the next chapter, the, the 74th chapter, of uh, the, the, the division of Psalm, you'll begin to see something that I believe will bring even a greater perspective or a clear picture of what the Lord is in fact saying. Because here in the 74th chapter and the second verse, look what it says here. It says, remember your congregation. We mentioned about the church now. Remember your congregation which you have purchased of old. Wait a minute now. Remember your congregation which you have purchased of old. Now understand, how was it purchased? With the blood of Jesus Christ. So it, that's a prophetic message spoken even before Jesus Christ had gone to the cross. It was purchased of old, the tribe of your inheritance, which you have redeemed. It speaks of redemption. Then it says, this Mount Zion where you have dwelt, lift up your feet to the perpetual desolations the enemy, listen to this now. Oh, this is the part that really, uh, this morning now, God began to show me this. He said, the enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary. The enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary. Now, go back to the 73rd chapter where it says that he will make known. You see, his whole objective, he said, when I came into the sanctuary of God, there I saw the end of the wicked. So what does the devil do? The devil says, if that's where the truth is going to be made known, then I need to destroy the place where the truth is being made known. He, he said, if they keep on coming to a place where God is revealing the truth to them, then they will begin to believe that truth. And if they believe that truth, then they will become a viable enemy to me. He said, there's no way for me to defeat the people because they keep coming around the sanctuary. They keep coming to church. They keep getting straightened out when I'm trying to get them straightened, uh, to make them crooked. I'm trying to fix them so they'll never get the truth. He said, but here, 
He said, you purchased it of old, the tribe of your inheritance, which you've redeemed. The Mount Zion, where you have dwelt, lift up your feet. This perpetual desolation has taken place. Uh, to, to he said, the enemy has damaged everything. That's complete. Everything in your sanctuary. We can, stay, we can stay there for a while, can't we? Everything. Look at the things that the enemy has destroyed within the sanctuary. So that the church doesn't look like the church anymore. You see, now there are other things that people have focused their attention upon. It has become the thing that, 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 that they are engaged in accomplishing. And they're saying, this is what we're about. This is what we major in. This is what we master in. And what happened, everything in the sanctuary has been affected by the enemy. He said, your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting places. Oh, did you see something? Roar like a lion. And, and when the roar takes place, it's saying that the animal, the lion, has already accomplished something. He's already caught his prey. He said, he roars. He roars there in the midst of your meeting places. So, in other words, it's louder. You hear what is, most, what is the loudest thing within the sanctuaries. He said, it is really the devourers, that which is devouring the saints. They set up their banners for signs. They seem like men who lift up axes against the thick trees. And now they break down its carved works. All at once, with axes and hammers, they set fire to your sanctuary. They, 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 tave, they have defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. They set their hearts. Let us destroy them all together. They have burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. Do you hear what's happening? That's why we need revival. That's why we need revival. He said, look at how much devastation has occurred within the sanctuary. A sanctuary ought to be a place of refuge. A sanctuary ought to be a place of safety. But the enemy got in and destroyed all of those holy things that resided there. So then... Little wonder these other things are taking place. Little wonder that we begin to see uh, these vices entering into the, the uh, current experiences of individuals where by now these particular things are in vogue. You know, now we begin to wonder why is it that murder and robbery and sexual immorality and all those things are running without any constraints? It all traces back to the destruction that has taken place within God's sanctuary. We've got to get the church right in order to get the world right. We can't get the world right unless we get the church right. Are you hearing this? So when revival takes place, historically, the revival was not primarily to the people. It was first and foremost to the church. And when revival came to the church, 
Then the church went out and made an impact on the lives of the people. Study revival, you'll see that, has been the case historically, that, that, that he always deals with his people first. He deals with, you know the Scripture, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will, I, I, I will heal their land. I forgive them of their sins and heal their land. But he begins first and foremost with his own people. So what I'm really saying, in other words, is that revival must begin with us. And let me just personalize it. Revival must first begin with me. And when I say me, you can point to yourself too. You can say that with me. Revival must begin where? with me. That's where revival has to start. It has to start with me, with me. Now, now, look at what happened. We talk about the burning of the sanctuaries. We talk about the destructive measures that have taken place, and we begin to look at the builder or the rebuilders of the walls that have been torn down. We're talking about Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Nehemiah, and, and there's so much to be said about Nehemiah, but we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 13, and he says, and this is Nehemiah examining the destruction. Nehemiah examining the degree of destruction that has occurred, as we ought to examine the, the degree of destruction that has taken place within the church, so that the church, as I said, the salt has lost its savor, and, and now it's being trodden under the foot of men. He says, I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuge gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, where, that, which were torn down, and his gates were burned with fire. Now we look at, and, and that's much more we can, I'm not doing a teaching on the book of Nehemiah, I'm just illustrating the fact that when destruction has taken place, when a place has been destroyed, then the walls of the city are torn down. And not only are the walls of the city, the walls are there to keep, it, it is to preserve what is inside of the walls, but it's also to keep out those things that's trying to get in. So, you see what happens? And the gate is the gateway, the gateway. Now, understand what happens if you get through the gate first, then you can start working against the walls. So, who are we as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We are, have been called to be gatekeepers, we are the gatekeepers of the culture. We are the gatekeepers. So, therefore, if we are the gatekeepers, then it is ours to speak truth. It's ours to, uh, to cry loud and despair not. If something isn't the way it's supposed to be, we can't just say, be warmed and be filled. We can't just say, I'm okay, you're okay. These easy messages and the like, no, we need to tell it like it is. We have to. We have to tell it. We have to speak it. The things that's going on. And, and, and you know, we, we want to spare people. We don't want to say things that are going on because people may think that you are incriminating a particular, you're speaking against a particular person. But let me tell you something. Our responsibility is to speak loudly 
those things and proclaim loudly those things that God has made known to us. We are the gatekeepers. We are, you see, when we started FMAC, Fellowship of Metro Atlanta Churches, the reason is because we realize through the solidarity of ministers coming together, ministers standing together, that iron sharpens iron. The thing that, 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 that I've had to practice over the years, I've had to be vulnerable before my brethren before the fellow pastors. I have to be vulnerable before the pastors. I have to say that if you see me veering to the left or the right, or even if you think I'm moving in the wrong direction, I want to have a conversation with you because if I am in need of correction, by all means, don't let me fall off the cliff, but bring correction to me. But then I say to pastors, I said, but would you afford me the same? That if I see you moving in the wrong direction, will you afford me the, 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 luck, the, the privilege to speak into your life and to say that maybe you should consider this particular thing because it could very well lead to something that could happen not only in your own life, but to the lives of many others. And then it would also have to do with the reputation of the church. How will people view the church as a result of this particular thing that you're doing. So you see, we're not just living it to ourselves, but we are looking at generations. We talked about the generations that will come after us. How will they see it? How will they view it? And there are many in this generation that have turned their back upon the church for two reasons. One is that they've gone along with the shiftings and changes that have occurred that are counterproductive. And then the other is that they have given up on church altogether. They put us all in one, pack, one bag and say, all of you guys, nothing about any of you. So either way, if you go along or if you dismiss the whole thing, you're still missing the point because God is about making known to principalities and powers through his church his manifold wisdom. So now, that requires, we talk about revival, that requires restructuring or I would call it reconstruction of the church. What are we talking about reconstruction? You see, when I talk about reconstruction, not to make it fit perfectly into the world, into the mold of modern society, because some people think that reconstruction, that we need to get the church, the church needs to keep up with the world. The church, I'm telling you, that people say, the church, we're behind times, we're behind the times, and we need to catch up with the times. We need, to, we need to become more in vogue with what's happening around us. But the Bible says, do not, that's what it says in one translation, in 12th chapter of Romans, do not allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. In other words, instead of the world making the church, the church must maintain its influence upon the world. So now, what does it say? So now the restructuring, uh, it, it is really restoration of the church to God's original intent. It's to bring the church back to its original, to its former glory. It's to bring us back. It is a matter of looking backwards and understanding history. Because if you throw away the history of the church, if you throw away, I, I'm talking about you look at the good, the bad, and the ugly, but you want to find out where God was and what God was doing, where God is in the past. Hold, you, you, you see, dispense of those things that are counterproductive, but hold fast to the things historically that were good. Are you still with me? 
Now, when we talk about the church, we have to understand its origin. We have to understand God's purpose. We said that the intent, the intent, God's intent from the beginning here in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, which I've ministered, verse 18, 19, which I've ministered, he says, this is, you know, the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, and then Peter answered. He said, who do men say that I am? I, the Son of Man, am. Who do, I, look, at, I, look at it this way. When he first came to it, he said, who do men say that I, who relate to you as men, say that I am? You see, I never saw it this way, but this is simplifying it. He said, who do men say? I'm related to you as a man. I am the son of man. I identify myself as one of you. But who do men say that I am? They see me as one of you, but who do they say that I am? And then he went on to say, some say lies, some say uh, all kind of things. Then he said, but who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? So I put myself on your level, but who do you say that I am based upon revelation? And then Peter answered and said, uh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he says, you didn't get this from men. You didn't get this from men. Because if you had stayed there with men and just followed uh, whatever trend or pattern men were taking, uh, then your attitude and disposition would have been one of compromise. You would have become a product of your environment. He said, but apparently you've been listening to a message that's far above what your culture has degenerated into becoming. He says, now what he said? He said, uh, you said that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God? He said, you're blessed. And upon this rock of revelation, I'll build my church. And then he says, and the gate of Hades shall not prevail against it. But then he says, this is the part I want you to see here. 18, and I say unto you, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, we talk about reconstruction. You see, when we go back to that, we have to reach, we have to go back to the original. Upon what? What rock? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one and his anointed. You are the Son, reflection of the living God so that the glory of the Father is made known through you. He said, that's who you are. He said, and I see it. So now, for me to become within the church who you intend for me to be, then the glory of the Father through the Son must be reflected in me. It can't be what the people want. It has to be the glory of the Father through his son. It is that which Jesus Christ has delivered to us. He said, now upon this rock, I will, I will use this as my material in constructing my church. Anything less than that needs to be dispensed of because anything else you try to build the church with is going to work against the foundation and the frame work of the church. 
He said, so I, in other words, it ought to be despair. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. He said, we're going to build a church because this is what the people want. This is where they are today. He said, it's pretty much like Flip Wilson's thing. He called it the church of what's happening now. You see, the church of what's happening now. And, and, and Flip came out. Flip came out of there. He just, he just came out. He's, uh, you know, we're going to ride. We're going we're gonna to crawl, you see. We're going to… But, but, but understand what happened. We laughed at that. And now we're living it. We're living it now. It was a joke then, but it's become reality today. The church of what's happening now. So the church has become a reflector of the culture. Wherever, with your finger, and sense which direction the wind is blowing, we will build a church that can encompass, you see, that's what the world, we can build a church that can encompass all of your whims and ideals, ideas, so that the church now is a church that you can feel comfortable in. In fact, we want to make sure you're comfortable. We're going to give, we're going to do some surveys. What did you like or dislike about the church so we can always perfect our image so that we become exactly what you're looking for and exactly what you're looking after? And then people say, well, where I'm going? I'm going to church where I feel comfortable. I'm going to church where I feel, I feel, I feel. I mentioned about feeling earlier on. But the objective is God wants to change the way you feel. When He changes your heart, He'll change your feeling. Jesus came to the church that was messed up in Mark chapter 11, verse 15. He came to the church that was all messed up. What were they doing? They were buying and selling all kind of stuff in the temple. He came to the church. Jesus came to the church. He came to church. When he got to the church, they were merchandising. Now, you have to understand what they were doing now. They realized that in order to make your sacrifice, it had to be without blemish, without spot, whatever. So, what they did, they said, by the time you travel to where you're going, your, your, your sacrifice would have some blemishes, or you might not find it. He says, well, what we'll do, we'll have some already in Jerusalem. So, but, but now, understand, we're going to raise the price because of demand, supply demand. We're going to raise the price so that you're going to pay a premium for what you're going to get in Jerusalem. You're going to pay for it because, after all, we, we, we preserve this for you. But we see profit. We see profit as the bottom line. Man, I can't wait for the sacrifices we made because, man, that's a rich day. This is it's pretty much like a, a rally or, or, or when we have different uh, uh, events in Metro Atlanta. And you have, your, your, have all of your, your, your places set up in order to make money. They saw it as an opportunity within the, within the temple. But who shows up uninvited? He wasn't invited to that environment, but he showed up anyhow. In other words, they built their churches, but they had a do not enter sign for Jesus. Because when Jesus comes into that environment, he turns over tables. You see, he began to turn over tables. He'd take a cat of nine tails, begin to drive folk out of it. 
That's Jesus now. That's the Jesus I serve. I thought he was a meek and humble lamb. No, he get ticked off when you act a fool. <laughs> but he came in there and started driving folk out of the temple. Now, wait a minute now. It wasn't their temple. It was the temple that they claimed. That's why I said revival must begin with the people of God. It was the temple that they claimed to be their temple. He said, this is, you say, this is what, this is what we built. This is what we erected. Look at the kind of money we raised in order to erect this particular facility. Look at all the efforts. Look at all, you say, we're raising money to make this happen. We're going to, we have an expansion project going on, and we're going to continue to build upon the temple. But Jesus shows up uninvited. Oh, they had a good time worshiping. They had a good time praising. The choir was swinging. The band was playing. They had instruments all over the place. But Jesus shows up. And Jesus ain't dancing. He's not rejoicing. He's not enjoying the environment. He's not, he's not enjoying the atmosphere. The celebratory, the celebrations taking place. Jesus walks in, ticked off. And he said, would you dance, Jesus? Didn't you hear the rhythm? Would you dance? No, it's no time for dancing. But he takes a cat of nine tail, began to drive them out of the temple. And then he had the audacity to call it his house. He said, my house shall be called. It shall be called, future tense, it shall be called a house of prayer. It shall be called. It is written. It was straight back to the word. It is written that my house shall be called a house of prayer. <laughs> he said, I'm taking it back to the original. It is written that cross-culture church ought to reflect the glory of God. But a member say, I don't like this church because y'all do this and that and the other. It is written. Whenever you leave that this is written, you're in trouble. You see, if y'all had a, a better program, then I, I, I might have stayed. Or I might come back if you just put together this thing, that thing, and the other. Then I might come back. It is written. It is written. Oh, y'all too strict. You got to stay. You see, you know the word you can... You can um, the word can say anything. No, it is written that my house shall be called a house of prayer. And then in the Old Testament, for all generations. But then he goes on to say, but you have made it. When he said you have made it, you turned what I own into something that it ought not be. It shouldn't be. You have made it a den of thieves, crooks. Crookery has occurred within that which ought to represent the house of God. Now, that's why revival must begin within the church. That's why revival must begin within the church. Because we must make room for the head of the church to govern and guide her in the direction God would have the church to go.
You see, the Holy Spirit is, first of all, we talk about the work of, he's transformational. The Holy Spirit brings about transformation. We are being transformed into the image and the glory of his son. The work of the, that's why he's called Holy Spirit. He's Holy Spirit to make us holy, to be transformed in the very image. Like I mentioned, the larger churches are the churches that don't require anything. It doesn't require anything. It says just live. You say just live your life. See, God understands. Yo, God, grace meets us. This is what uh, uh, Apostle Bryn Jones would say. Grace meets us where we are. But it doesn't leave us there. Grace meets us wherever you are. I don't care whatever you are. You're, you're a prostitute. You're a pimp. You are a whoremonger. You are a, a homosexual. You are a, whatever, a liar. You're a thief. Whatever you are, grace will meet you where you are. But the glory of his grace is not to leave us in that condition. But the glory of his grace is to develop us into becoming what we were, what we ought to be. So that now, you see, Christ is glorified in our lives through our becoming. We're transformed into the image of Christ. So therefore, you see, what we're saying, this must be a welcoming environment that any walk of life that you may be engaged in right here and now, we said the doors of God's church is open unto you. Are you hearing me now? It's not a closed place. It's not a closed environment because if it's a closed place, then none could get saved. None can be saved. It's only for those that's already saved. But it's open to all. But if we preach the truth of God, then the grace of God is contained within the message of truth. Grace meets us where you are. And there's deliverance that takes place to bring you to where you ought to be. Now, it might not be instantaneous. It may not be instantaneous. You may be in an environment where the truth is being preached, but don't run away because you don't measure up to that standard. Stay under the covering. I remember, let, yes, I know I'm out of time, but this is where I was when, when I, I stepped away from the Lord for, for a little while. And, and when I stepped away, see, I'm, I'm being transparent. When I stepped away from the Lord for that, that season, uh, uh, I, I didn't want to be around holy stuff. I didn't want to be around holy. The Bible would convict me. I said, oh, put, put something over that Bible. Man, that, you see, why? Because my conscience had been awakened. Am I making any sense here? My conscience had been awakened. So therefore, there was life within me. So anything that would remind me of his life would convict me because that life was in me. It was in me. But here's what, praise God, I, I couldn't stay away from church. Even in my state, I couldn't stay away. I found myself, I, I would sit back and look all convicted. I, I wouldn't sit in the front anymore. I'm, I'm, I, oh, please, please. 
I wouldn't sit up front anymore. I, I would find a spot as far from the front. And then I would be the first, I'd be the last to come in and the first to leave. <laughs> because I didn't want to interact with people. I didn't want anyone to read my mail. I said, you can read it on my face. It's all over. Somebody walked, uh, are you under the blood? Remember, are you under the blood? <laughs> you trying to get me to lie? <laughs> Are you under the blood? <laughs> Are you under the blood? It is, it, it, to be honest with you, it is the blood of Jesus that's still applied to my life, but understand. But the conviction is that because of the blood of Jesus, because I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Are you saying this? But praise God, I didn't, I didn't dismiss the church altogether, but I kept coming around that light until eventually the light that I was around began to illumine me again. You see that? Where by now it's no longer hiding from it. I can talk about it after I was delivered. I said, praise God. This is what the Lord has done. He's taken me beyond that state that I was once in. And that's what God is doing. So we don't we understand. So it's not telling anyone to stay away. And, and church, don't you start condemning folk because their light is not as bright as it once was. If anything, they need encouragement. If they keep coming around, let this be an encouraging environment. Put your arms around them. And, and let them know. You say, you know what? The Lord still loves you. you and, and, and tell them, say, man of God, woman of God, God's hand is still upon your life. God still want to use you. We're not giving you a position now. We're not going to put you in, in a position of ministerial uh, position, but we're going to love you and keep loving you so that that light can start shining the way it once shone because God has not abandoned. That's the grace of God. Meets us where we are to take us where we ought to be. Now, now, now I was going to get to the part about this discontent. We'll talk about it later. But he will produce within our lives this spirit of discontent. We talk about things that happen. When we feel that discontent within the depths of our soul, you understand why you're doing that? It's because you are a part of that which is greater than yourself. You're a member of the church. You see, the Lord wants to shine forth His glory. He wants to make known to principalities and powers and heavenly places His manifold wisdom through you. You said, no, I messed up. No, He wants to make it known through you. And since he's determined to make it known through you, he won't let you get away with the stuff that you were trying to get away from. In other words, the Lord won't just let you go. The Lord just won't let you go. In fact, he told me back then, he said, he said, I've invested too much in you to let you go. And I thought about it. I said, isn't that something? The Lord says, I'm overseeing my investment. I'm concerned about my investment. Look at what I've invested. My the blood of Jesus was shed for me. Look at the sacrifices of those that ministered to me 
throughout the years. Look at those that have believed that Christ was in me, whose lives I administered to. You see what I mean? That I told about Jesus. All of this, it was the Lord using me. And to tell me that the Lord is just going to say, well, if you mess up, that's it. No, the Lord said, I got too much invested in you. I, I've, I've given, you see, for you to just, for me to just give up. So, so what happens? He said, I'm going to keep on working on you until you finally reach that point. I'm talking to somebody now. Until you finally reach that place of surrender and say, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of compromising. I'm tired of just doing my own thing my own way. Lord, I surrender my life again to you. And the Lord says, he says, kill the fatty calf. Put a ring on his finger. <laughs> Put a robe on his back. Let's have a feast. Because my son, my daughter was dead and trespasses and sins, even though they, he or she was a part of my family, they had allowed their hearts and minds to stray in the wrong direction. But now they've been brought to life again. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the revival, the, I would say the, the rumblings that's taking place now. But, Lord, we want to see this thing explode. We want to see it fully erupt. Our desire, Lord, is to see just masses of people from all walks of life, from every culture coming to know you, is to see them hungry, to see that hunger returning to your people. So that people will not have a take it or leave it attitude. <clears throat> they won't have an attitude whereby they could just see it as something that's dispensable. But they see this walk and they see their portion within the body, within the family, as being of utmost importance and significant to the whole. So, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing now as we reflect upon these 43 years. Lord, I just pray that even those that have strayed away, that this will be the time of the great awakening, the great awakening. Yes, you have the power to heal. You have the power to deliver. You have the power to set individuals free and but may we recognize and realize that in the realm of the spirit the assignment of the enemy is to kill steal and to destroy but you're raising us up so that your life can be expressed through your people so we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for who you are for all that you have done as we reflect upon these years, all that you're doing right here and now, recognizing that none of these things are just happenstance, but everything that happens in our lives are significant. 
but we want to see them within the right context. And then, Lord, you have our future. And you say that as a result of the future, you know how all of these things work together for your good and for our glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.